I'd like to coach youth basketball and baseball. I've had people approach me after games that I've coached and be like, hey, you do elections and, and kind of belittle the work that you do and, and heard it at church, at grocery stores. And, and that's happening to election workers around the state. That's Utah's election director, Ryan Cowley. He's one of the biggest defenders of the state's election system and has been in the election game for the better part of two decades. We'll hear more from him later. Elections in Utah have been under attack in the last few years. What started as questions about how votes are counted has turned into full-blown conspiracies about election fraud. Campaigns have gotten pretty nasty, too, no matter what two previous candidates for governor may have told you in 2020. I'm Spencer Cox, your Republican candidate for Utah governor. And I'm Chris Peterson, your Democratic candidate for governor. Although we sit on different sides of the aisle, we are both committed to American civility and a peaceful transition of power. After a foolish vanity campaign for president, Evan McMullen's under a mountain of debt. Evan McMullen, so craven, he's not who he says. Senator Mike Lee advised Trump's legal challenges to overturn our election. He was one of only two senators who was in on the scheme, receiving the plan four days before the January 6th insurrection. I'm Sean Higgins. And I'm Sage Miller. This week on State Street, we're looking at misinformation. We'll give you a primer on what it is and how to handle it, especially during election season. We'll also dive into what's being done to ensure our elections are safe and fair. Raise your hand if you've ever been personally victimized by misinformation at some point in your life. You can't see me, but I am definitely raising my hand. Misinformation, the ultimate mean girl sage. The really scary part is you can encounter it anywhere, on social media or the news, even from your family or friends, and they might not even realize it. It has been used to sow doubt in our election system, demonize public health professionals, and further divide Republicans and Democrats. Misinformation is the entire plot of that classic film Mean Girls, full of gossip, rumors, false or inaccurate commentary that's presented as fact, with the intention to deceive or influence you. Like a political ad that takes a candidate's words out of context or a story headline that tells you just what you want to hear. We have to file a grammar request for the Utah legislature's burn book now, don't we? Ooh. So we deal with this all the time, Sean. Part of the deal of being a journalist is like sussing out the stuff that doesn't quite smell right. But not everybody does this as their day job. That's why we're here. So what can someone who isn't wading through all the stuff all the time do to spot it? To help us figure that out, I actually talked to a professor who, get this, used to be a journalist. I love a good journalist turned professor. Educating the youths. (laughs) University of Utah Associate Professor of Communication Avery Holton is an expert in social media and mass communications. And in a former life, he was a journalist at the Fort Worth Star-Telegram in Texas. He told me misinformation is nothing new. It's been around for thousands of years, uh, gossip lies, tall tales, sometimes fables, those sorts of things. But digital media and social media in particular, because so many people are on those platforms now. And then um, depending on generations, some folks using social media and digital apps, apps on their phone, seven, eight, nine hours a day. When it comes to misinformation, where we tend to see the most misinformation is along political lines, right? What's happened or what we've seen happen and very rapidly so is that uh, facts have become inconvenient truths, right? They're things to be dismissed now 
um, and they've been exchanged in part for um, ideological alignment. And that's really difficult to try to uh, combat, right? When you're looking at things that make people feel comfortable, that make them feel safe, and those things are mistruths or untruths or disinformation. And another term we hear a lot is fake news. Is misinformation one and the same with fake news, or are those two separate things? Yeah, I, th I think they're separate, right? So misinformation can come in all sorts of forms, right? It can come from friends and family. It can come in ways that are purposeful and some that are not. Fake news, or at least the way that the term is applied, is used by different political parties to signal this is something we shouldn't agree with. Not necessarily that it's fake or misinformation or not true at all, but rather we just don't agree with this, so we're going to dismiss this and label it as something dangerous or something to be um, stigmatized. How can people be smarter consumers of the news, especially in an election season like right now? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. One thing I, I would say is to challenge yourselves to look across um, different platforms and different news organizations so that you don't become siloed in. So if uh, tonight when you go home, you're watching CNN and CNBC, throw Fox News on there as well. You know, Even if it's hard for you to, to watch, do it so you understand what others are seeing. If you go home and, and you're doing the opposite, you're just watching Fox News, flip on the local news, flip on CNN, flip on BBC. Expose yourself to different platforms, right? That can help with compassion, but it also can help with the knowledge we have um, about one another and make those conversations that sometimes are really awkward on Facebook, for example, with you know a distant uncle can make them a, a little more meaningful and substantive because we know where they're coming from. And the other side of that too is to make sure when you encounter news, double check that news, right? If you see a breaking news story that um, you know either doesn't feel right or something feels off, hunt around a little bit. Google for more information. That's the easiest thing to do. And when you get into news stories, really try to pay attention to the sources that are used in those stories, right? If the story has an agenda, if the story is trying to be neutral, um, even stories that present as neutral can have sources that aren't, right? What are those sources telling us? Who's pushing the agenda? What data are they using? And if the data is the same, then who are they using to, to tell us the narrative, right? So to sort of go back through that, it's exposing ourselves to more news platforms, trying to um, look at the news, the same news coverage across a few platforms, and then really paying attention to the sources that are out there. We certainly hope NPR is part of everyone's healthy media diet. <laughs> I know it's part of mine every single day. And I, I will say, too, that I think NPR and other um, local or regional media affili affiliates do a really nice job of trying to offer balanced coverage, but also acknowledging that um, we live in a time where being objective um, isn't always easy. But being real is what people want to see and hear and feel. And that's why NPR and, and the other local media outlets, I think, thrive, because it feels real and it feels authentic, even when it challenges us um, in different ways, whether it's to look at the information diet that we have, to um, look at the people around us and the kind of information they're using for and against us. People turn to local media more often during political coverage, during crisis events, because they trust them, right? And the news media are not are not very trusted, right? Uh, maybe right ahead of politicians, but local media is, and that's where we see some of that hope. So I would also encourage folks, 
if they don't have local media in their diet, which I'm assuming those who are listening probably do, but uh, that, that they do and, and they find ways to support that and that they find ways to connect their friends and their family, uh, coworkers to local media if they're not already in that space, if nothing else, so that they're just informed citizens. Well, Avery Holton is an associate professor of communication at the University of Utah. Avery, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. We're going to take a quick break. When we are back, we'll hear about what's being done here in Utah to ensure our elections are safe and fair. You're listening to State Street. Support for State Street comes from the Hinckley Report podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion about the biggest political headlines in the Beehive State. Find new episodes of PBS Utah's The Hinckley Report every Friday, wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to State Street. I'm Sean Higgins. And I'm Sage Miller. So we've learned that misinformation can be incredibly powerful. And we're seeing that right here in Utah. We are. Some people have really held on to the belief that there was a lot of funny business in the 2020 election. And those doubts have real-world impacts, too. There was proposed legislation to abolish the state's vote-by-mail system. There was a serious effort to audit the 2020 election in Utah. And we even saw people questioning the election process during the 2022 Republican primary. Those efforts failed, for the record. The legislation never made it out of committee. The audit effort was shut down because there was no evidence of wrongdoing. And officials said the issue in the primary was blown way out of proportion. So state leaders are trying to tackle this issue. I talked to Lieutenant Governor Deidre Henderson and State Elections Director Ryan Cowley about what the state is doing to debunk misinformation and secure our elections. I think one of the key differences right now with Utah, we've been enacting really great election security measures for a long time, um, especially in regards to vote by mail. So we have a lot of good um, signature verification. We do audits. um, We do a lot of things that make sure that eligible people can vote. They can only vote once um, and that people who are trying to vote for someone else get caught. Yeah, so I think one thing that's been really unique with Utah is our transition to vote by mail has been very gradual. Um, and that slow progression to vote by mail has allowed us to have mature laws that kind of follow that progression. You know, we heard a lot in 2020, you know, with the pandemic, a lot of states tried to transition to vote by mail kind of on the turn of a dime. And that's a tough transition. You know, you don't have the laws that have caught up with that. And really, that's one of the things that I think's helped Utah be successful. Can you give me some examples of when Utahns have questioned our election system and how the office has dealt with it? Yeah. And, and when we talk election security and the, the different claims that are out there, you know, Utah's really heard the same things that have been heard around the, the country. And it's all about the, the security, the processes, the people that are doing that. You know, we've, we focus a lot on chain of custody, making sure that there's two people with the ballots, that there's a, a log that goes with those ballots to ensure who's had access to them to, to prevent things. And on the machine front, anything that tabulates a vote in the state of Utah is not, nor has ever been, nor ever will be connected to the internet. And that's a huge component to security because it's really, really difficult to hack something when you have to gain physical access, you know, when you don't have um, the Internet to help help aid get there. There's a lot of unfounded accusations that I think are, are pretty irresponsible and, and do a lot to undermine public confidence in our elections. And I think that's the intent of those accusations. And I think one of the things that's been most frustrating is that a lot of the accusations that are being hurled around out there by, honestly, only a few people, but 
a lot of times people see what's happened in a different in another state and they assume that that has happened here in Utah. They assume that we do things the same way and we don't. Uh, the best way to combat misinformation is to go visit your county clerk. And remember, our elections, they're not run by me. They're not run by the lieutenant governor's office. We oversee them. Uh, They're run by your county clerks. They're run by people who are elected at a local level to do this. They're run by your neighbors, your friends, um, sworn election workers who have to take an oath. And these are people who want desperately for the elections to be run well and to be run accurately. So it's not only unfair and dangerous in my mind to throw around these unfounded accusations, but it's it's really hurtful to these local election officials. And we're seeing a huge turnover. It's a real, real problem. When you talk about there's been a lot of turnover, what do you mean by that? Are we up to two thirds yet? Yeah, About we've we've had 17 of the 29 county clerks. One of those has turned over twice. So really, 18 of the 29 county clerks Since that have turned the over. Since the 2020 election, who have either resigned or chosen not to run for re-election. So that's huge. The level of vitriol and nastiness directed at people who run elections is unprecedented and unbelievable. Yeah, so that's actually one of the frank discussions we had when I took the job is, you know, why, why in the world would you want to come in um, given the, the circumstance that we're in? I've been doing elections since 2005, and I've kind of gone through basically every position there is in elections. And we've always had people question results, especially in close races, but it was always focused on that kind of an issue. You walked them through what happened, um, why the results the way that they were, and you just kind of moved on and people accepted that. And that's totally changed really since 2016. We focus on 2020. 20, um, but it really changed in 2016. We had the people that were not my president. We saw people protesting in the streets. We saw that escalate in 2020. So it's really coming from all sides. And that pressure's just grown. You know, I've, I've had people approach me. I like to coach youth basketball and baseball. I've had people approach me after games that I've coached and be like, hey, you do elections and, and kind of belittle the work that you do and, and talk about elections there. I've heard it at church, uh, grocery stores. And, and that's happening to election workers around the state. You know, we've had some election officials whose cars have been uh, messed with, uh, threatening voicemails and things like that that are left on their phones. And it's just kind of escalated. And and really, you know, at the end of the day, there just isn't any evidence that the clerks have done anything wrong. They do a good job. But it's real. And we're seeing that with those um, resignations. In my whole time until 2020, we had never seen a midterm resignation from a county clerk ever. You know, and so it's really unprecedented, that pressure that they're facing for doing their job, serving their community, and really trying to to keep the core of our republic intact. How has Utah's election systems changed since you both took office? This past year, uh, we got some legislation passed that really will bolster some of those processes. Uh, We'll start auditing our voter registration rolls, putting some rules in place so that we can make sure that our chain of custody is uniform. Um, so we've just made some incremental changes in the past year and a half, especially this this past year. Um, really, one of the biggest things that I wanted to do, um, being the state director of elections, people often are like, what do you even do? Like, what, what does that uh, job entail? And I really like something Lieutenant Governor Henderson told me when I interviewed for the job is you can't govern from the Hill. And so what we've really tried to do is get out into the counties, See their processes. We visited them while they were processing ballots. We visited several counties while they were doing their audits. We've toured their facilities. And then it's just kind of gathering that information, making correction and suggestions as we see things that need to be improved. You know, there's always room for improvement. And then it's taking good ideas from one county, sharing those with another, and trying to maybe standardize things a little bit more throughout the state and making sure everybody's meeting those standards. 
there's been a lot of pessimism surrounding politics and voting right now. What would you say to somebody who's looking at this election season and has never voted before or who doesn't think that voting will change anything? Well, um, if they think voting doesn't change anything, they need to think again. Um, So people need to vote. One of the things that worries me the most is that this rhetoric will discourage people and and discourage them from coming out and having a say through the ballot box. That's the way we make change in America is through the ballot box. I know we have a history of, of revolution, but we are a democratic republic. We are a representative republic, and we have our voice heard through our vote. And people don't vote they really can't complain. That's the recourse. There are other things you can do to uh, influence your elected officials, but really, ultimately, it comes down to who those elected officials are, and that you have your say through the ballot box. Get out there and vote. Ballots will be coming out on October 18th. They'll be in your mailboxes, and go to vote.utah.gov for any information that you need on candidates or where to take your ballot if you want to vote in person. All of that information will be there, so really, vote.utah.gov is just a great resource to go to. And be nice to your local election officials, please. Okay, Sage, this is a lot of information to take in. Let's break it down into some practical steps we can all take as we get our ballots. Right. So first, we learn from Professor Holton that we should always be challenging ourselves and trying to understand other points of view, even if we don't agree with them. Yep. Tune into that news source you might not have at the top of your list. And we also learned that county clerks are not having the greatest time right now. Which is a shame, because they can be great resources for voters. They are the first line of defense in election security and are experts in the election process. Running elections is literally their job. Yes. If you have any questions about voting or how votes are counted, they are more than willing to answer those questions for you. Honestly, they would love to answer those questions. And Utah is ahead of the game when it comes to mail-in voting. We've been using it in some form for actual decades. It's secure, trustworthy, and accessible. But Sean, it takes work to be a well-informed voter. It really does. And you know, I asked our good friend Avery what he would do if he had the power to change how we approach consuming the news and social media. He says, sometimes you just got to unplug. You know, I really do wish that we could help one another um, be more compassionate and take more breaks, right? We live in a space where it feels like we always have to be on. We have to be on our phone, our computer, um, in front of some device to feel um, satiated. And I think if we could wave a magic wand, it wouldn't be to just take away all social media, but rather to give them an opportunity on a daily basis to take a break, to take care of themselves, and for each other to do the same, to make sure we're looking out for one another, and to say, hey, I'm not going to text you right now because I know you're busy. I'm going to call you later, or I'm going to drop by, or can we go for a walk and, and have a conversation? Bottom line, don't be afraid to take a break and close your computer or turn off your phone if you're feeling a little overloaded. Especially during election season. There's going to be a lot of noise out there trying to distract you or make you feel a certain kind of way. And it won't be warm and fuzzy, particularly in some of these high-profile races like Mike Lee and Evan McMullen's Senate race. Don't take campaigns at face value. Exactly. You have to be smart, be skeptical, do your research, and cut through the noise to make an informed decision. And that does it for this episode of State Street. I'm Sage Miller. 
And I'm Sean Higgins. The team includes Caroline Ballard, Elaine Clark, David Childs, Renee Bright, Raquel Davis, Eleanor Gomberg, and Jim Hill. State Street is a production of KUER. And if you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. It helps other listeners find the show. See you next week. Music button. Uh, uh, yeah, music button. Uh, From KUER.